Hello and welcome to the Matt Belair podcast. As an explorer of the mind and world, author and coach, I have spent a lifetime learning how to push my limits and achieve my highest potential. My mission is to bring you the most inspiring, conscious, and empowering teachers, leaders, and thinkers on the planet. To bring you stories, lessons, and messages that will help you master your mind, body, and spirit. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy today's episode. What's going on, family? What a privilege and honor to be with you again. I hope that wherever you are in the world, you're doing amazing. Sending you a huge hug through the airwaves. I wonder who of you has tried that uh, lucid dreaming technique. If you do five reality checks a day, so plug your nose, say to yourself, if I am breathing, I am dreaming. If you do that five times a day, yeah, you'll look weird. Um, You'll have to kind of put in your planner, just make it happen. I guarantee you that 90% of you will ha- will wake up in a lucid dream because when you're dreaming, you don't know. Um, you think it's reality. That's just how it is. And so that, for me, is the thing that works the best. It, it, when I coach people, I get them to use that one. So plug your nose and say to yourself, if I am breathing, I am dreaming. And if you're in reality, you won't be able to breathe because you'll be plugging your nose. And if you are dreaming, all of a sudden you'll realize, you'll be like, hey, I'm dreaming. But you can't do it like real quick. You got to like do like three breaths. I really try and uh, it works for me. So give it a shot. Um, We have part two with Robert Bosnack and we dive deep in this one. If you've listened to the first part, we've got more of the same in the second. Um, When I did the edit, I didn't do it in half at all. So this is going to be longer, but you know, we talk about the definition of consciousness, uh, treating dreams as the real world, uh, somatic intelligence, how to incorporate embodied intelligence, getting out of habitual consciousness, exploring alchemy, the secret of the gold and flower uh soul as being all around us so we are going to dive deep and this episode is awesome uh thank you so much for those of you who are supporting the show take a screenshot share on instagram share on facebook tag me um that helps so much i feel like there's something happening in itunes we're getting a little bit blacklisted so if you guys can do that it helps immensely write a blog talk to your friends just do something to get the word out there Um, but just a quick share is real quick and simple and helps immensely um Thank you so much to those of you who supported me on Patreon. It goes a long way. So if you go to patreon.com forward slash Matt Belair and just toss a buck in the bucket uh, each month, that helps me do the show. And uh, I really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Daniel Gunderson, for doing that. Uh, all my love and support for chipping in uh, for the cause. I appreciate you. But the best way you can support the show, as always, is do one act of kindness. Um, better yet, do the kindness challenge, three kind acts a day, going out of your way to do it. Do this for seven days. When you're done, let me know tag three friends get them to do it let's make kindness go viral even if we get a hundred people to do it or a thousand people on the podcast or it's just you in the community because if you hearing this right now do three kind acts a day today it'll affect three people and what they do with that day that's powerful shit that is spiritual mastery right there so don't think that you're insignificant or you got to solve world hunger i know that you probably have bills and stresses and all that kind of stuff but if you can do that kind act as you have all that stuff you're really walking the path of a spiritual master of an embodied master um so that that's how simple it is so i encourage and i implore and i hope that you guys do that it's uh, great 
if you do. Um, what else? Uh, go to mattbelair.com, sign up for the email list, uh, forward slash lucid dreaming. If you want a free lucid dreaming ebook and uh, also a hypnotic audio to help you lucid dream, uh, Robert has an incredible c- course on the uh, Young platform, and there is a discount link in the YouTube video as well as uh, on um, the SoundCloud. If you go to Matt Belair 111 and you check out his course on Young platform, he dives really deep into this. Uh, I think it's four or eight parts. I can't really remember now, but it's an incredible course. I've gotten through part one of it, and uh, it's just more of this is deeper. It's a really interesting way to explore reality and consciousness and all that kind of fun stuff. For those of you guys who are interested in coaching, hypnotic experiences, the heart journey, hypnotizing you to use your heart's intelligence to find a life direction, overcome blocks, all that kind of stuff, hit me up at mattbelair.com forward slash coaching. And that's it. I want to thank my new partner, Himalaya Podcast app. They're awesome. I'm so stoked to be partnered with them. Um, it's cool that these like bigger companies are helping kind of the, the I'm still a super small fish in the podcast game, uh, but helping people like me, the the podcast is, uh, the app is free. It's easy to use. There's tons of features. Um, it lets you build community, communicate with other people, uh, gives you awesome suggested podcasts, lets you soon do playlists, and uh, they take feedback really well. So when you're on the app and uh, you there's a suggestion box or there's a way to add suggestions, just put those in there and they'll get back to you for real. So it's super cool. You can also do tip jars. So if you don't like Patreon and you want to support me on a tip jar, you can do that and it goes straight to me. That's super helpful. So uh, check them out. They're H-I-M-A-L-A-Y-A Himalaya app and uh, you'll find me on there. Make sure to follow the Mastermind Body and Spirit Show. I had a few people go over there and kind of say that they like the app and um, tagged me because I can see how many people have gone over. So that was kind of cool to see. Um, So that's it. So before we get into this, let's come to a state of peace and coherence. So wherever you are in the world, just stop whatever you're doing, taking a deep breath in through your nose. Hold that breath and set the intention to come to a powerful state of peace and coherence now, just allowing yourself to become fully present in your mind and in your body and your spirit and just feel confident and connected and supported and loved and connected. Just let that breath out slowly with any self-limitation, self-doubt, self-criticism, feeling totally empowered and ready to get into this incredible part two with Robert Bosnack. I only know that if I help you to get into your dreaming and begin to experience it from the perspective of your dreaming self and from the perspective of others, profound things begin to happen to your day life. It happen, things begin to happen to your health. Things begin to happen to your creativity. Um, if you're working, I work with people on projects of making apps and uh, people working on physics and um, microbiology. You can work on many different things through this imagination with dreaming and other forms of deep imagination. So I I do not know what dreams mean. (laughs) Mm. Interesting. Well, what that makes me think about is just like in what ways, like if I want it, do we, do we need somebody outside of ourselves all the time or in what ways we use dreams? Like if somebody's like, like in what different way can they use that to improve their life? Or is it just the process of beginning to relate to your dreams in certain ways things will naturally unfold? Like do you go in with a purpose and intention or do you just go in with to uncover information? Um, I think that uh, you should, um, I, I think it's, it's help, helpful to go from a perspective that goes right against um, all the things that people tell you about dreams. Um, I think you should go towards dreams um, without expecting messages. 
A dream is not a message. Uh, a dream is a world that you are in. It's a real world. It's like traveling to a country that you don't know. Um, and so that realizing that you're traveling through all these worlds all the time and that you spend eight, ten years of your life traveling through these worlds, these dream worlds, um, where you're entirely convinced that you're in a real world. And if you get back to that, then in the first place you realize that you're participating in a great mystery. I think that that's the first step. If you don't, if you cannot see your dreams as a great mystery, you're missing something. Dreams are a creation of a world that we call them cosmogonic. They create a whole world in a fraction of a second. Now, that is a mystery. How that works, nobody knows. And nobody will know for a long time, if ever. Um, so if the person is then able to not try to find the message in a dream, what does this mean for me? Um, but I was somewhere and I would like to get back there. I would like to know what was happening there. So if you then, by slowing it down, get back into that world of the dream and first experience it in the body and feel what is going on with your body, you will already get a lot of new information. Um, if you, for instance, are working on an app and, um, you um, you have a dream of um, a ship that is tacking. I mean, this is from an actual um, work on an app. Uh, you have a, a ship that is tacking. Um, you can begin to feel the tacking of the ship. And as you feel the tacking of the ship and the movement of the ship and you become identified with the ship and you can feel it, then you can notice that that is a way to deal with the app because you have to move here and then you don't know it anymore and then you have to move there and you have to constantly move and if your body like that ship is able to tack against the wind then your embodiment in making the app is much more appropriate to the app so um uh if you so i and that i would do that by helping the person first get into the boat and into the sensing the wind and feeling all that but then i would get into the boat on the water and the sails and then i would through feeling that animation what it is like to tack and then you learn great things so that's a way that i would go about it okay interesting <laughs> so I'm kind of my mind is going in two directions. The first is is thinking about senses and this reality, you know, so we we see, we touch, we hear, we taste, we have these senses. Yeah. We also experience that directly in the dream. So mm -hmm. what the heck is going on? And then, you know, I've got um Tom Campbell coming on and simulation theory and a few people are saying there's strong evidence towards being in a simulation. Um I'm just curious the standpoint you come from and just experiencing this reality if, if it's if it's sensory and then we're going into another sense experience um if there's an understanding that comes with that and like how we can navigate our lives like one of them for me is you know some religious people were upset on the um podcast about simulation because they said there was no god but tom campbell wasn't suggesting that he, mm -hmm. he was saying that this he's like i'm not suggesting that i'm suggesting that this is a is a 
ground to learn and experience and to grow. And there is, there is something, it's just your, this, what's actually physically happening here is more simulation based as that's where the science is going. So um, it's a bit of a roundabout kind of thing. I'm just curious your perspective on just the senses experiencing reality. As you mentioned earlier, we don't know if it's actually happening because I could be in a dream right now. You know, I was just in one an hour ago. Right. Um, so the question, is this really happening, is um, uh, a moot question. Because um, at the moment that you're dreaming, um, you believe this. You are completely convinced that this is actually happening. So if you go from the perspective of experience, what you have is your embodied intelligence to feel what's going on. And a major part of this course is about embodied intelligence. How can the intelligence of your body feel where you are in a dream and what you can, uh, what you can do with a dream? So um, uh, I go from the perspective that um, we are experiencing particular things. That's why I'm not interested whether it's a simulation or a dream or physical reality, doesn't matter. Because these are all experiences of reality because we are experiencing it as reality. If you say that it's a simulation, you're actually doing metaphysics because you're saying that you're looking at it from outside of it. I'm not looking at it from outside of it. I'm looking at it from within the dreaming. So within the dreaming, all your senses are activated. So um, that's why I call it embodied imagination. You're fully embodied and your intelligence is fully embodied. So you hear things, you smell things, you uh, touch things. All your senses are in this world, in this embodied world of dreaming, fully activated. And um, then when you wake up, you call it, oh, it was just a dream. But that is not why, while you're dreaming. So my perspective is always from while I am dreaming. Because that, to me, is the most different perspective from my waking perspective. And so, therefore, I want to move as far from my waking perspective as I can. And when I move as far from it as I can, I end up in dreaming. And then I want to explore dreaming to learn from dreaming also about my waking perspective and to develop my embodied intelligence, the way my body understands dreams. That's what I'm interested in. Right. Awesome. I got it. Okay. So let's go a little bit deeper with that because uh, it's, it, it makes me think about just the Zen concept of, um, you know, surrendering. We're more observing as we go through and the conscious mind only holds a small bit of information. I read a long time ago. I don't know if it's still true, but it's five to seven bits of information. So I'm constantly analyzing threats through this particular activating system. So that way I don't get hit by a car. I don't get you know, trampled by a moose. Yeah, it's called your working memory. It's uh, how it holds about seven seven bits of information right and so when we go into the body i've heard before and i like the idea that the body is actually the super super intelligent thing it's just yeah. like if something happens the body will just all of a sudden Absolutely. do parkour and way then, before yes way yeah. before you know anything right yeah and and then that unconscious mind or whatever the body is connected to you know that intelligence is is, is going to sense whatever that danger is before and all of this other magic is happening and kind of Sometimes I call it like the dumb, dumb brain. So like Matt or whoever I think I am is you're not going to be able to think through everything. You know, it's just going to be exactly. like, put a stupid look on my face as I scream and run. Well, and that's then, oh, exactly what I mean with going out of your mind, because right. then you go out of your mindset and then you let that enormous intelligence of the body do its things and you begin to sense it. 
um, this is something that actually came into psychology already in 1880, um, because the, the greatest of American, uh, of uh, US psychologists ever was William James. And he asked a question in 1880, um, when you're in the woods and you see a bear, do you run because you're afraid or are you afraid because you run? Hmm. Right. To which of course, most people say, well, I run because I'm afraid, but that's not the case. And then William James could start lecturing you at Harvard and say, no, that is not the case because you're already running long before you know that you're afraid because your system through by way of the, now we know by way of the amygdala, uh, the information comes into the amygdala way before it goes into your visual center. Your visual center is actually to correct things that are happening in your amygdala already. So if you see something, you go, ah, that's an, an amygdala experience, and you think you see a snake, and then your visual cortex says, no, it's not a snake, it's a stick. So your visual cortex is correcting something that's already happening in the body. So therefore, he says, you find yourself running, and then you realize you're afraid. And so um, the body is the first to know, and that's what I'm interested in. And that's why I'm, I'm interested in this notion of MQ, embodied intelligence, um, which is different from IQ, which is different from EQ, emotional intelligence. It's a different kind of intelligence. It's, um, it's distributed. I mean, it's all over your body. There can be something happening in your shoulder that is not happening in your leg. And it's a different kind of intelligence in your shoulder than you have in your leg. That's a different kind of intelligence that you have in your belly than you have in your head. So there are all these intelligences going on simultaneously. And you can feel them with your body. And as you feel them with your body, you get a much larger spectrum of information. So I'm, I'm interested in to get to the highest amount of information that I can get to. And... Um, uh, because um, we are dealing with something so complex that we can only deal with it if we have a great deal of information. So the body has many of these different kinds of information going on. And if you're able, and that's what I call embodied intelligence, if you're able to feel all those different um, intelligence streams, like I'm afraid here, I'm defending myself there, I am attracted here, and all these kind of things. If I can feel that and hold that together, then out of that something new begins to emerge. And that is how the embodied intelligence then brings a new state of mind. And um, so that's what I'm trying to teach. That's awesome. Well, I'm, I'm interested. I want to know. You know, I, I, I see it from um, an athletic perspective of just peak performance. You know, when you say get the most information that, that I, I hear as a consciousness yeah. performance like what is yeah. you know i've been curious how do i maximize my consciousness how do i maximize my body how do i do these these things and and information is one of those things so mm -hmm. and and maybe you can go deeper onto the embodied intelligence because i think that that's brilliant from what i've looked at and kind of where my research has gone it really is more getting into the body into the senses and out of the mind when i'm going to do something really challenging on my snowboard or something else i can't i don't think about it i, I have a preset and then yeah. it's like the body like if i had to think about what has to happen when i do a backflip or a big jump okay. it's not gonna work not gonna work no. so i trust this that's why i always explain that to people i say if you are riding your bicycle and you have to think about how you ride your bicycle you're on your face. 
Yeah. Your, your body knows how to ride a bicycle. That's embodied intelligence. And so um, your body is, it's usually your embodied intelligence that is driving a car because you know when you're in a car that the, you know the body of the car. Otherwise, you couldn't go through very tight places. If you didn't exactly feel with your system, with your body and bodied intelligence, the size of the car, you're identified now with the car. You know exactly how long the car is, but you know it in a visceral way. So that's an embodied intelligence. Um, and then um, the notion of, um, of embodied, um, I think it is more than just somatic intelligence. Um, somatic intelligence would be um, uh, the way that um, you can feel things happening in your body. Um, but when you are making um, uh, a flip, uh, how do you call them in, with snowboarding? Back flip, front flip, all kinds. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, so you're in a flip. Um, then you have in mind the image of the flip. You somehow, your whole system knows the image of the flip and your body adjusts to the image of the flip. So therefore, the embodiment is a relationship between image and body. So um, that's why, um, for instance, um, uh, there was research um, about all this. Um, um, Stephen Coslin is one of the first big researchers about sports and uh, image at Harvard. And um, he, um, he tells there was the gymnastic team, um, I think the US gymnastic team, and they checked with people who had come on the team and people who didn't make the team and how they would do their visualizations because everybody does visualizations in top sport because otherwise you like if you 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 go through the track already you visualize the track before you go through it and when you ski um and um so uh the people who were did not make it on the team uh, were people who were visualizing by looking at themselves as they were going through their routine. The people who made it on the team, without exception, from what I remember, for without exception, um, were feeling it in their bodies as they were moving through their routines. It was not something that they were seeing happening. It was not a visualization. It was an embodiment. And that's what I'm interested in that you have need your whole body to go into it. And then as you do that, you will find that um, your body learns because as you do these embodied intelligent exercises, you're on the slope in a completely different way than you are if you just think about it. Thinking doesn't do anything. It has to go entirely through your embodied intelligence. And... Um, uh, I think that um, uh, a baseball uh, pitcher, have, as he imagines going through a windup, feels all of this in there. It doesn't just look at himself doing it, but feels it all going through the arm and going through the ball and all that energy going into the ball and out and feeling it coming from the gut and just pushing it out and all that kind of stuff. I don't know. I've never been a pitcher. But... Um, but that's how they get these, these balls to fly 100 miles an hour, um, uh, by being fully in their body, by letting the embodied intelligence doing it. And that's why I say get out of your mind 
get out of that mind that is trying to rule your embodied intelligence. Your embodied intelligence is much smarter than you. If you can just stay out of the bloody way and feel how your embodied intelligence already knows things and just follow your embodied intelligence, it's, it's, a, it's a different way of being in the world. Yeah. Yep. I 100% agree. And, you know, I, I had an athlete, you know, fall on a front flip. And yeah. I just taught him one thing. I, I went through and listened to, um, you know, what he was saying. And I kind of helped a couple of things. And I said, all you need to do is visualize yourself doing that trick. As, and I, I tell athletes in two ways. One, do it from third person so you see what it looks like. But you have to do it in first person to feel what it's like. That's the ultimate one. You want to know what it's going to look like perfect because sometimes they don't know what it looks like. Mm -hmm. So he did that. And uh, three weeks later, lands a front flip. Three weeks after that, world's first front flip heel clicker on a motorcycle. Three weeks after that, world's first front flip Superman on a motorcycle with that one technique. That's it. Yeah. No complication, yeah. no, no books, no, like it's, it's that. absolutely, that is basic embodied intelligence. You're teaching basic embodied intelligence. And that's what I want to get into the world, that this is a very important way of doing it because it's the same thing that you can teach a person how to be behind the microscope and feeling the whole body while being behind the microscope. And then you will see things through the microscope differently. And that's actually what's happened when, when I work with, um, uh, with bio, uh, biochemists, um, that as you feel that body and the intelligence of the body, you look differently, you see things differently. Painters paint differently because the canvas tells them different things. And, um, and, and their whole body gets into it and getting into it. And the, 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 the wonderful side effect that I find is um, that suddenly the world comes to life because it is not something you're trying to control. You're realizing that you can't control this. You have to practice this. And then as you practice this, it will start taking control of you. And then the whole control comes through the intelligence of the body and you go much further than you went before, but that's practicing. That is not control. And, um, thereby, um, a person feels that the world around them is alive because one, one of the great, horrors of um, Western consciousness is um, that where we spend the most money is on science. And according to the, and the main science that we have is physics. And everybody wants to look like physics, like psychology wants to look like physics. Everybody wants to look like physics. Um, and, um, uh, but in physics, we are living on a tiny little speck that floats about around an insignificant star that is on an arm of a galaxy that doesn't really matter because there are millions of galaxies. There is some hum in the background from a big bang that has happened at, at one point. Zero meaning, meaningless. We are meaningless. The, the interesting thing is when you start to get into your embodied intelligence, the question of meaning starts disappearing because you feel the intelligence going through you and you become, it, you move into the world that is fully animated. And that's what I'm after helping people to get into an animated world, a world that's alive and vibrant because what I see very frequently in the different, and that's what I'm going to be talking about in my course as well in the different generations. Um, I see um, different ways of not being in a vibrant world. 
like in my generation, the baby boom, I'm, I'm one of the oldest baby boomers, I'm 70. Um, so as, uh, as I look at it, it, I have to stay alive in a particular way and feel the world as vibrant that is different from um, maybe you're a millennial or something, um, where, where you are in a state of um, 25 and now what? Um, where um, you're in the state of um, the world is not the way I thought it was, but what is it like? And so you need all ways to get the information so that that world comes to life. And from what I understand is um, uh, that that generation, which could be the generation of my grandchildren, um, uh, is very interested in experience. And that's very similar to the way that we were in the 60s. We're also very interested in experience. So um, I will help people to experience more, to experience more fully. That's uh, one of my tasks, I think. That sounds amazing to me. Um, So how do we begin to do this? Because I kind of see it as in, you know, when I was first researching Zen, it's more of getting out of my mind and just observing the body do it. It seems like there's some similarities there. Yes, very um, much, very and similar. then, and how do we, you know, how does one go about start to, a, maybe you can share some techniques or more or whatever way you think we should go, but I want to know always how to do it. And I know it's a 10 week course and you can't share everything, yeah. but I see it kind of like, cause you have this balance, right? Like I have, I make choices through the day. I can right. choose to go skateboarding. I can choose to go to the gym. I can choose to write, write something down. So when I'm accessing that choice consciousness, I'm, I'm using just kind of that limited thing. I'm not into that embodied intelligence. I don't think, I don't know. Maybe no, I am. No, no, but, no, no, no. Right. So I, but so then it's like kind of the yin yang push pull, right? So when somebody is got all these tasks and they got a family and they got all that kind of stuff, that's one scenario. But then you get a little bit more freedom. You have a little bit of another scenario because you have more time and choice. So I don't know if, how does each, does each person use it in the same way? And in what way can I, in what way do I go about the day and, and access this? Yeah, good. Um, so uh, as I say, um, embodied intelligence is distributed. So it is, um, your belly is feeling something different than your heart does. Or, um, for instance, for me, when I get defensive, my right shoulder moves forward. So, um, but my right shoulder is forward long before I know that I'm defensive. So by studying how my body is responding, I know that when this begins to happen, uh uh-oh, I'm getting defensive. So therefore, um, and when I breathe, like, then I'm probably afraid, but I already have that breathing long before I know that I'm afraid. So I am beginning to learn how my body is in the world and my body is in the world and my belly in a different way than it's in my legs and my knees. Um, So the way that you can work with it, and I'll explain all this stuff much further, um, is, um, for instance, you have... um, uh, you have to make a move. Um, you are living in a certain place and you have to go to another place, um, but you don't know if this is the right moment. Let's just give an example. And um, so the, the, the way that this works is how does it make me feel to stay here? How does it make me feel to be here? Um, I'm, I'm slowing it down and I'm feeling myself in this environment that I'm in now. 
how does that environment affect me? And um, then slowly I get into the body of this environment. And then I feel in the body which part of the body is most activated. Like, for instance, I feel most here in my belly. I feel most that I'm at home here. I don't want to leave here. It's all in my belly. Um, then I go to um, the other place where I could go. And I, I look at the other place and I feel there's excitement in it and there's excitement in it. I want to go there, but at the same time, I can also feel danger in it because in going there, I could, something could happen and I could end up in the middle with nothing. So I begin to feel the place and I can begin to feel the fear. And then I end up with three different places in my body. So I feel the comfort of being at home and not moving at all in my belly. I can feel the fear of that I will end up with nothing in my heart. And I can feel that other place is brilliant in the mind, in the, in the head. And then I trigger all these three states. I feel the, the, the shining uh, excitement in the, in the forehead. I feel the, um, I feel the fear in my heart and I feel the comfort in my belly. And then I hold these three states because it's distributed. So I hold these three states in my body. As you hold that for a minute or two, something new will begin to happen. And a piece of information will come. We call that an emergent phenomenon. It comes from something called complexity theory. And um, there is an emergent phenomenon. Out of this emerges something that is new, that is an attitude that is new, that has not been there before. Because otherwise, you will always try to solve things from what I call your habitual consciousness. And what this whole work is about is to get out of your habitual consciousness. Uh, MQ, uh, embodied intelligence, helps you get out of your habitual consciousness. Because that is where you are. If you are making this flip and you always do it wrong, then there's probably a way that habitual consciousness is in, in the way. And so it has to be out of the way so that your body can start making those flips. I was thinking about something about Zen. Shall I go into that for a moment? Yeah. Um, and that is about Zen painting. Um, the way that um, a Zen painter paints a bamboo, and this I've been told by several Zen, Zen painters, I work a lot in Japan, um, is you look at the bamboo and then you wait until you're identified with the bamboo and once you're identified with the bamboo, then you paint the self-expression of the bamboo. So it's not that I paint the bamboo, but I become absorbed in the bamboo. I become part of the bamboo. And as I become part of the bamboo, then it can start to self-express. And so I get something that is much further away from habitual consciousness that is trying to paint the bamboo. And I think that that is central to, uh, to um, Zen art. And it's also central to the work that I'm doing. Got it. That was a really good explanation. The way that I kind of make sense of that is that it's almost that surrender to like a higher power, a, a, a bigger intelligence, because really even just the processing that it goes to grab a spoon and put it into your mouth, if you had to think about everything that actually was happening, um, it is so far beyond. And if the conscious you mind put thinks... You put it in your ear. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. yeah. It's the wrong spot. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, there's so much happening, you know, like the consciousness of what it can focus on is so minimal. 
to right. do a task that's so grand and an experience that is a mystery beyond what we can possibly fathom. Right. And that's why we can use our dreaming because our dreaming can help us with that. Our dreaming can help us go with tasks that uh, rational awareness where habitual awareness can't go. That's why in the healing sanctuaries of old where um, dreaming in, so I'm talking about Greece and Turkey and in Rome and the Roman empire, um, uh, dreaming was central to all healing processes and um, the place in the sanctuary where people would go and lie down on klinai a klinai is a uh, is a is a wooden uh, is a stone bench from which we have the word clinical um, so people would lie down on these klinai and um, the place would call would be called abaton abaton means inaccessible so that actually by going into the dreaming, we access the inaccessible. And it's inaccessible for our habitual consciousness, but our embodied consciousness can access it. Yeah, yeah. And does this go, I've also heard in um, Egypt, ancient Egypt, they were using um, healing rooms, hypnosis, um, going yeah. into all, some of the theories when I went to Egypt, it said that, you know, that the king's chamber was for accessing consciousness. I'm more on the thought when I went there that it was actually for some sort of energy because uh, mm -hmm. it seemed like a, a battery and you needed to put something in it. Like Saqqara is, is a computer chip. It's messed up. Yeah. So yeah. does this go back to anything like that? Like Yes. the What we are... Um, um, the methods that we are using come from um, what's called Asclepian healing. It's Asclepius was uh, the god of medicine in uh, Greek and Roman antiquity. And um, he was um, the serpent god. And that's why you always see a serpent around a staff when you go to an apothecary, uh, because that is the sign of Asclepius. And uh, one of his followers uh, is called Hippocrates, and you have from that the Hippocratic Oath. And they put dreaming as central to all healing processes. That through dreaming, you could get in touch with um, deep space. It, 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 you can very easily see this all as space travel. Um, and, um, and all that you can look at the past and turn it around and see the past as the future. Um, so the, the, you, we are looking for it to go as far away into space, as far away from um, habitual consciousness, um, uh, in the same way that, um, I don't know if you, um, if you know that, but um, uh, Carl Sagan was one of the, one of the great um, minds in science and popularizers. Um, and he asked um, uh, NASA as the first, um, as the first uh, capsule was moving out of the solar system to turn the camera back at the solar system. And then there is a tiny speck of blue and that tiny speck of blue that's earth. And so, um, by being in that in that state of being so far away earth and everything looks really small and you can begin to see things in its constellation you can see things how it all fits together and so the further you get away the more you can see you can get an overview 
And um, so what we're trying to do in this work through dreaming is to go as far away as possible so you can begin to feel different things than you felt before when it was all closed up in your habitual consciousness. Right. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I can see the massive value in that. It's, it's adding another perception and it, it adds more awareness and more yes. possibility. Absolutely. There, there's a, a word for it. You might be aware, but something about when you see the, when we first had the picture of the earth, Yeah. Do you, well, there's From a psychological the thing. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, there's something about I, I. You know what I'm talking about? It's just like yeah, 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 people yeah, yeah. saw that it was like it, it changed consciousness. It because changed of- consciousness, and then what Carl Sagan did, it changed consciousness again because actually it showed not just Earth, but it showed the solar system. We got one photograph of the solar system, and we are a tiny little blue uh, um, circle, tiny, tiny little, and. Um, and on that little circle, everything happens. Everything we know happens there. And so we get an extra perspective. Um, there was the Gaia perspective that happened when we made the first photograph um, from outer space. It was, I think in the 80s or something earlier. No, earlier because it was for the moonshot. So it was uh, somewhere in the 60s. And that changed a lot. But then it changed again when we could see the solar system from outside. So what we're trying to do in our work is to get further and further away from habitual consciousness. That's why Jung and Hillman and myself, why we use alchemy so much, because we're trying to get out of the mindset of today into a completely different mindset. And as we get into a completely different mindset, we can see completely different things because we are, have moved out of habitual consciousness of our, of our day and age. That's why we love alchemy so much. Yeah, well, can you go into alchemy and like what that means for you and and how you use it? Yeah. Um, So I started um, I started working with alchemy um, in 1971. So that's now 47 years ago, and um, because uh, the the main teacher of my um, of my background was a man called C.G. Jung, and um, Jung was initially a student of Sigmund Freud, and Freud was the developer of psychoanalysis, which is the field that I come from. It's a kind of a field of the mind and soul and body that is very Western. And so um, I am entirely within the Western tradition. So I'm not in the tradition of Zen. I'm not in the tradition of Buddhism. I'm I'm in a Western tradition. And um, Jung uh, discovered that the images that he got uh, from his dreams and from his patients' dreams and from his active imagination, from the way that he could elicit the imagination, which is very much uh, demonstrated in what he made uh, called the Red Book. Um, I did a course about the Red Book also at the Jung platform. Um, the, the, um, the, it's a world of reality and he is inside that world of reality. And he begins to see that um, the world that is around, around him, he's in it. 
it is surrounding him from all sides. And um, he begins to experience the intelligence of that world. And um, by experiencing the intelligence of that world, he is, um, uh, he becomes very isolated because it is just all happening and he feels it is just happening to me. And then he gets to see alchemy and he sees, he gets a, a manuscript sent to him in 1924 um, from China called The Secret of the Golden Flower uh, by a man who translated the I Ching. The I Ching is a book of changes um, that you can ha have uh, 20 sessions about. Um, and um, so um, Wilhelm sent, uh, who is translator of the I Ching, sent it to him and he found in the secret of the golden flower, he found that there were all kinds of images that came in his practice all the time, that came in his imaginations all the time. So that alchemy is actually a way of talking imagination the way that imagination is speaking, the embodied imagination. So that's how the notion of embodied imagination begins, that alchemy is seeing all the materials as living beings. For, for an alchemist, there is no differentiation between physics and biology. For an alchemist, everything is biology. So everything's alive. All the metals are alive. They're living beings. They're like animals. And um, so the way that the alchemist is communicating is communicating with others, communicating with these metals. And these metals are actually living beings. And so it's a dialogue. And um, these, these imaginal beings from, uh, from alchemy, these metals, begin to give very strange images. And these images are very similar to dream images. And so as we begin to explore the image world of alchemy, and the embodied image world of alchemy, we begin to get a background for all these images that we are having contemporarily. And if you put this system that is uh, from 500 years ago, if you put that, if you begin to reflect our contemporary system in a system that's 500 years old, between them, new information begins to come up. We are completely identified with our 21st century materialism that is very hard to get out of even if you say i'm not a materialist a materialism is um is you we get talked uh, taught that this is reality this is reality this is reality everything else is not reality um it's just imagination um but in alchemy, there was no difference between imagination and metals. It was all one entity. And so they would communicate with these living metal entities. And um, uh, the process of it is a process of refinement. And so it's a very different, different perspective than if you say, um, I am this way because of my parents. Um, in alchemy, it would be... you this is happening to you. These are the metals that you're dealing with. And as you begin to deal with them, it doesn't matter where they came from. They're here now. And as they are here, your whole world can start refining when you start working on it. And that refinement 
is actually the way that consciousness is made, but not just consciousness of the mind, but consciousness in the body. You begin to get increasingly more embodied intelligence because you begin to feel it from the perspective of the materials. And then your body is one of the materials and you can feel in your body how all these materials interact. And um, it's, you begin to see that things are not right or wrong, Oh, I've done this because it's all so bad, because my parents did this and this. Um, it's actually, you're in this state, you're in this condition. And as you work on that condition, the condition will begin to shift, it will begin to refine, it will gain consciousness, and it becomes much more manageable. And it not only becomes more manageable, but you begin to feel more valuable. And that is the end idea of alchemy, that, that it's about making gold, and gold, making gold is about becoming more valuable. And that is one of the things that lots of people have an enormous problem with, that they don't feel valuable. They don't feel valued, they don't feel valuable, they don't feel that it has any meaning or anything, and they feel valueless, which is a great uh, precursor to suicide. So you don't want to stay in that valueless state. And alchemy is about making value of life. And so that's why I think it is so interesting. Wow, that's beautifully put. Hmm. You know, the, the Native American that I'm studying with, a uh, very fascinating individual for sure. Yeah. And uh, he talked constantly about spiritual weight of silver. And just saying that, like, you know, that going into the alchemy world, it wasn't about acquiring silver so you were richer than everyone. It was, again, when you're speaking about value, it was the value that you brought to life. And Absolutely. that was a byproduct. And there was a spiritual weight to the actions, to the expression, to the way that you were living, um, also accessible to everybody else. And another thing on, on alchemy, you know, people, they focus so much on the metal the metallurgy, but it, I heard maybe you can touch on this is like, it's more of a spiritual alchemy. It's like what you're creating within the self. It's like an alchemical oh, process of consciousness yeah. also oh. or no. Well, um, <laughs> you are, you are um, making uh, um, several preconceptions in your questions, namely that there is a difference between self and metal and that there is an alchemist and metal. Um, Actually, what's happening is that uh, there is a field and in that f the, the whole field is going through a transformation process and the alchemist is part of the field and the metal is part of the field. And so the, it's not either happening in the metal or in the alchemist, it's happening in the alchemist metal field. And so it is a transformation of the medium itself. And um, so um, uh, that's what I would, go from that that as we uh as we do this kind of alchemical work the medium that we're in which is the way that we are in the world the medium that we're in begins to refine all by itself um silver is a very interesting thing because i i gave lots of lectures about silver um uh, because silver is um uh, the color of the mirror it's the color of the full moon and um uh, some people say that imagination and the true imagination is the world of the mirror without the mirror. And so it is that world of images that um, actually has a different kind of gravity. It's um, being part of the moon and um, 
uh, being more lunatic, being part of this reflective world in which there are images and interacting with this world of real images. Um, so silver is very interesting and I totally agree with your um, interlocutor that um, uh, that the um, it's not about making uh, becoming rich from silver because they always talk about our silver and our gold. Um, and that is not silver and gold, but it's that is the tincture that can make silver and the tincture that can make gold. So it's not about the outcome. It is about um, having uh, um, having a, a creative imagination that is so potent and so concentrated that it can actually change things in the world. Wow, that was epic! You just psychotherapisted me so hard with that that upgrade. <laughs> <laughs> so good. I was like, oh, yeah, you're right. Holy crap, that's amazing. Um, well, so much is coming up in my mind now. Like the first thing when we go back, it's like I remember seeing on YouTube when you zoom all the way in, and it's like this is the smallest thing that we're aware of, right? And yeah. then you zoom all the way out to the known universe. You can see that visually, and then they all of a sudden start to look the same. But it gives you a perspective. But it seems in like your work, you're trying to do that experientially, yes, which I think yes. is incredible. Yeah. Um, then on the alchemy thing, and I'm just going to rant this out so you can choose yeah. whatever inspires you most, <laughs> is I'm thinking about the alchemical image of that. It's like got the dome and the guy is looking outside the dome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That yeah. one, I forget that image. So I'm wondering if you know anything about that because my friend Robert Grant went to Egypt. He's a mathematician. He's made all these mathematical discoveries. Um, he made a friggin' scientific discovery in Egypt in April. And mm -hmm. he was showing me all of these alchemical images of like uh, the one of them is the two towers, it's Bose and another one. And you go up these stairs and like, he's writing me and blowing my mind. It's like, Robert, like, I don't know what you're talking about. Oh my God, I'm doing all this research, but it was really incredible. Um, and then I've heard Jung was actually more of an alchemist and his later, I don't know if it's Jung or someone else, but someone was way more of an alchemist than people knew. And the later years of his life was just working on alchemy, but he's well known for something. I don't know if that's Jung or someone else. You know? um, well, um, Jung was certainly working um, in the last part of his life almost exclusively on on alchemy. He um, studied it and he became a really good student of alchemy. Um, and um, his work became increasingly influenced by alchemy. Uh, I think that um, uh, the way that... Um, uh, that alchemy is um, is influencing uh, the world of psychology is um, is very important. But I begin to miss out on the on you. You lined up a series of questions. Can you do them again? Yeah, sure. Uh, I was talking about the alchemy and that that image of the person. Yeah. Okay. Let's start with that. Yeah. Let's do them one by one. Um, so um, I don't know who first made that, but it's a very well-known one. It is that um, you see the firmament, and the firmament is the way that the sky was seen as, and the star, stars were seen as firm and as like a kind of a stone, so that we're living inside a giant stone with holes in it for the stars. And... Um, that as we move through uh, all the different spheres of the firmament, 
finally we break through out of the firmament into um, a kind of a light situation. And I think that then um, that is the moment where, um, where the light that comes from outside begins to enter into the system. And I think that that could be seen as the moment that the world suddenly becomes animated. Yeah, that's it. Thank you very much. That's exactly it. And so um, outside of um, out breaking through the stars, you get into that animated world and you get into that world where you can actually um, see all the different movements that are going on that are um, that are archetypal. You can see all the different um, wheels of time that are going on. You can see the storms that are happening. You can see the suns. And as you do that, you become part of that alive universe. Uh, you, you break through the firmament. You break through habitual consciousness, through what is firm and what is clear and you get to the other side and as you get to the other side you get into a world that is purely creative that is purely in a state of animation and therefore the alchemist that is crawling through habitual consciousness out into this other world is in a state of great surprise and because that is a moment of enormous surprise because now we're in another world that's what i was talking about that i want to get into deep space that's why i want to get out of the mind this is the alchemist he is going out of his mind the mind is um the the town and the tree and the city and and our star called the sun and he is moving out of that firm system into and the moon he's moving out of that firm system into the purely creative system that is outside of habitual consciousness and that is very surprising and that's what i'm trying to help people within this course to get go out of your mind this is a photograph this is a woodcut of going out of your mind the alchemist is going out of his mind that's a, an amazing explanation i'm so glad that i thought about this image um so when when an alchemist or maybe yourself thinks about the firmament are you thinking more of a mental firmament of of moving from like what your perception of physical reality is because some people take this literally and think that we're in a dome are you suggesting that in in this thought it's more of a a mental firmament of going past materialism and physicality into something greater um well the notion of the firmament means dome it means that it's a stone dome and with little holes in it um so i i definitely don't think that literally we are living in a world like that um i am much too influenced by science to ever think that that would be the possible way that we that we are but um uh, what I do know is that the structure of the imagination is set up in this way. And uh, remember that I see imagination as a form of reality, right? That the reality of the imagination is set up this way, that we are living surrounded by a firmament of what we know. We are living surrounded by a firmament in which I know that I'm a man, that I speak English, that I am working my computer, that I live in the United States of America, that I'm a certain age, all that kind of things. That is part of my firmament. And that will all uh, limit me if I want to get to that place beyond the firmament where the world is in a state of constant creation and constant creativity because the firmament 
will hold me back and it will, it's just the shape of my head. And so I get caught in my skull and I cannot go out of my skull. So what I'm trying to help people is to go out of your skull, break out of the skull and get into what is around. And there's much more around than what is just happening in our skulls because we are, we are learning through materialism that everything is happening inside of us, right? All, everything, all your mentation, all your soul, all your feelings is all happening inside of you. That is not phenomenology. Phenomenology, which is what I'm doing, is the science of experience, tells me that soul is all around me. Soul is not inside of me. And that's what the great contribution of C.G. Jung was, that he said, soul is not in us, we are in soul. So soul surrounds us from all sides, and like in a dream. And so therefore we can be, get in touch with that soul, and thereby soul is also called anima, so thereby we become animated. So by getting out of ourselves, by breaking out of our skull, by breaking out of our firmament, we can get into a place that is actually alive and animated. That's what the alchemist does in that uh, woodcut that you show. That's an amazing explanation. Um, I kind of want to go through a few ways. Like number one is like how the second thing would be, <laughs> Uh, which I know is deep and, and vague. Um, two, there's another alchemical image. Maybe you can touch on that and, and if there's any reference to from your information because the first description is so well. And I think that when you get out of the dome, you know, <laughs> like the head, um, yeah. we walk around thinking that we're just material and everything is so serious and we need to hold on to everything material and we're existing and we need to protect ourselves. And it's very individualized, you mm -hmm. know, it's very, it's very, and it's very small. It's whatever the heck that is going yeah. on in here. But, but isn't, isn't your generation breaking out of that? I hope so. I get the I get the impression much more so than other generations uh, before you. We were also in the early '60s, but uh, in the mid '60s. But the the sense that we are encapsulating encapsulated in this physical realm is we are entombed. We are entombed in this physical world because there's nothing beyond the physical world. Yeah, in this mindset. Yeah, I think, you know, it's interesting because, if, man, uh, I read something a long time ago, something about like uh, uh, civilizations and how there was a technology in each one. And it, and it talked about uh, part of this article was the telescoping of information and intelligence of what we're experiencing now. It's like you look at, you know, 1080 to, to 2000 to 3000 or whatever, you know, the technological explosion is accelerating so fast you know it's it's just kind of exponentially growing and so we're having all of these new solutions and these new problems we couldn't even think about so like kids being so attached to their tv uh, or their or their ipod they're actually getting more disconnected and and they're they're not even connecting with nature which is something that we did before so we have access to all this information hold on um, hold on hold on you you're giving an incredible bump talk on screens um and um I think that um, uh, that people who are in like now, right? Everybody that is seeing us, everybody is participating in this, is in cyberspace, and um, uh, we have given incredible bum rap to to this 
uh, being in cyberspace, but there is, that is a form of being. It is similar to dreaming. Cyberspace is similar to dreaming. And it is a real world, and we will learn differently. There, are, there may not be physical trees in cyberspace, but there are other things in, in cyberspace that are beginning to develop. And with this whole virtual reality that's coming in, I, uh, there is this negativity that people have about cyberspace, whereas, for instance, um, uh, research has shown that, um, that kids who do a lot of video games uh, have more lucid dreams. So you don't know. Um, we, we, are, we are natural, sentimental literalists. We think that nature is good, and I, I live in nature. I live on a mountaintop in Santa Barbara. I live phenomenal. I overlook the ocean. Fabulous. But I spend a lot of my life in cyberspace. Uh, we started the first um, uh, Cyber Dream work was uh, in 1997, was the first interactive um, uh, space where you could work your dreams, and it's still there 21 years later. Um, so... Uh, I spend a lot of time in cyberspace and I want to see that I don't want to say that that time is less well spent than my time sitting outside looking at the ocean. Um, uh, we have, we have to be really careful. Everybody's talking after each other. We're going in lockstep in the sense of, uh, Oh, we're all in screens and we're doing all these things on screens and we don't have any sense of nature. I, I, no, it, it doesn't do anything for me. I think it's sentimental shit. <laughs> well, I think, I think that's an important point because it's both. We can access a podcast like this or someone can do your course in cyberspace yeah. or we yeah. could just use it in a different way. The, you know, the, the reason why I shared that was because I've spoken in a couple of schools and talked to a bunch of the kids and yeah. suicide's a big problem and disconnection is a big problem. Yeah. And not, it can be used for good or bad. It's just Absolutely. what that tools is happening. Very right good. now, among the young kids, they're feeling yeah. more disconnected because yeah. not only did when you were in high school, when, when, when we were there, was they could make fun of you and you'd have a problem. Now they put it on social media and right. now it's for everybody to see it again in cyberspace. So they're, they're dealing with different things. So I think we have massive opportunity, but also things that, that the younger generation are struggling with. That um, Oh, absolutely. But um, don't you think that it was the same in a village? that everybody knew everything about you and you didn't need, you didn't need social media. It was just a, a, a look uh, that you get uh, when you go to the grocery store and um, a scarlet letter that you get put on you. I think that we're living in a village again and uh, that people are doing things in the village and that everybody's looking over each other's shoulder, which is village consciousness. And, um, so, yes, I think that um, the rise in suicides is absolutely horrifying and it scares me. Um, I mean, I have grandchildren, so um, I, um, I feel that that's, um, that that's a dangerous thing. That's why I'm, what I'm saying is if we get more into that embodied intelligence and feel more that our body is a mystery and a miracle. Did you know, I just heard that yesterday from one of my physician friends, um, that um, the kidney is um, more intelligent than the neocortex because the kidney is figuring out how much of which minerals to take in. 
which minerals to let go, how much uh, water there should be uh, in the system, how much water should be taken out of the system, all those kind of things. It is incredibly complex. It is incredibly intelligent system. The body is incredibly intelligent. And as we begin to feel that and begin to access that, the world becomes more meaningful because you're less helpless. I think many of these suicides is about being totally helpless in, in a world that means nothing. And so, and if you have that in the village where everybody looks at you and said, hey, 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 what they do in villages, um, uh, then, uh, but there's also this thing of being cared for, uh, be having your friends and uh, having that in cyberspace. Um, yeah, it, it has so many different sides. I don't want to take one side. Yeah, yeah. No, I definitely agree with that. Um, we live in interesting times, that's for sure. And I really love the idea of empowering people, yeah. you know, to, to recreate. And that's the, that's the sad thing. Whatever's happening out in the world, it seems to be disempowering. And media, yeah. you know, I would throw a blanket on it. But like a lot of the time, people would say, oh, Facebook's all nonsense. This is all nonsense. It's because of what they're watching. You know, mm -hmm. mainstream media is perpetuating. So you can control that cyberspace experience. You can go look at um, something terrible, just throw up Fox News and just go through that rabbit hole. And that's all your Facebook. And or you can listen that. to Matt Belair. Yeah, exa exactly. So, you know, or Robert, you know, go do your course. And, yeah. and this is the choice that you get, but it's not, you have to go find it, right? And then that in Buddhism, they call mental nutrients. It's coming in and you're experiencing it directly. And now that's your reality. Yeah. So we need to be mindful of that. And I appreciate your work and what you're doing and, and creating something that we can go out there and then experience something, you know, and, and I think that your work is super important. I could talk a lot about the body because of martial arts background and, oh. and, and, and all that and, and the importance of it. So I definitely hear what you're saying. We only have five minutes left because I know you got something to do. Yeah, so yeah. I want to ask you if there's anything that you wish that we had talked about, you can talk about whatever you want, elaborate on anything. If you want to go longer, I'm here because this is amazing. But just wanted to share my appreciation for what you've shared today. Yeah. Oh, well, let people know about the course. I think that that's really important. Um, I, um, I think that um, one of the things that happens when you go into this embodied knowledge um, is that somehow the world becomes more lovable. Um, not that it becomes more lovely, because it, um, uh, as I say always, it has always been a shitstorm. Um, and... Um, uh, but that you can love it more because it comes alive and it becomes an other. It's not just a dead stone that you live on, um, but the world begins to communicate with you and um, you begin to feel that you're connected. And as you feel that you're connected to the world, that is a moment where life becomes more vibrant and where everything quickens and where you can feel with your heart and where you get a heart connection to the world. That's what I'm trying to help people do by getting with the embodied intelligence, getting a heart connection to the world. Because I think that one of the great dangers at the moment is that people are disconnected with their hearts and that we have to help connect with the thought of the heart. The thought of the heart was always seen to be the language of imagination. 
language of imagination was called the thought of the heart in the 15th, 14th century. And so that we connect back to that heart and connect back with the heart to the world and get more heart in the world and put our hearts in the world. And as we put our hearts in the world, the world starts giving back. I completely agree with all that. And I think that's really beautiful and really wonderful. And I'm down. I'm definitely going to check it out. I'm super curious. And, I I, and it's, it's super important work. It is. And, I, and, you know, it makes me sad to look in. And when I'm going around and talking to people, how disempowered they feel, how yeah. valueless they feel, how helpless yeah. they feel. This hey, young man. Hi there. You want to say hello? This is Arlo. This Hi, is Arlo. Nephew. Good to see you. This is his, this is his first uh, um on air is, yeah on air on the podcast yeah um but yeah no it's super important because you know it's it breaks my heart to see any adult and you've probably seen this in the world where you see people that are so beautiful and amazing because yeah. we all are and like have, him like arlo it's for arlo yeah, exactly I, I, as we become more aware <laughs> as we become more aware of um of the world as alive we can teach our children and our grandchildren how to be back in the world as a living being. That's it. Yeah, that's it. That's beautiful. Uh, Robert, thank you so much for your time. You're always welcome back on if you wish. Okay. Where can people find uh, the course if they want to check it out? Uh, so www.jungplatform, that is J-U-N-G-P-L-A-T-F-O-R-M, jungplatform.com. Awesome. Cool. <laughs> well, thanks so much for today. Have an amazing day. And, and I appreciate you. you too. And I very much enjoyed talking with you. This was great. And I'm sure going to come on again at some point. Sounds great. See you, Robert. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye. All right, guys, I hope that you enjoyed that episode. I know that I did. If you like it and you want to support the show, please take screenshots, share on Instagram. Thank you so much to those of you who are doing that. It helps so much to get the word out there. Support on Patreon. Check out the Himalaya app. Um, if you want some coaching, get, get over to mattbelair.com forward slash coaching. And uh, that's it. We're going to keep it short and sweet. Thank you to everyone who supported me. I wish you... And everyone who just listens to the podcast and everyone in general, um, you know, my prayer is for peace on this planet, is for cooperation, is for um, just humanity living up to what its potential is and getting out of this um, fear-based, competition-based, war-based society. And it starts one at a time. So where, wh wherever you are, whoever you are, remember that you matter, that you are enough, that you are amazing. So let's come to a powerful state of peace and coherence through one deep breath. So wherever you are in the world, just taking a deep breath in through your nose. Hold that breath, setting the intention to come to a powerful state of peace and coherence, connecting with your mind and your body and your spirit, letting that breath out slowly with all the cares, all the worries, all the self-judgments, feeling totally empowered, at peace, present, recognizing that you are enough, that you are amazing, that you are connected to all of creation. Have a beautiful and amazing day, and I will see you in the next episode.